The way you do your relationship in your house, the way you have your furniture laid out, where, where your television or TV or, or big screen monitor, whatever you have, or projector, whatever you have in your home, is laid out, wherever your sofa or your chairs are, no one's coming into your house and saying, oh, I want this table to be over there. And I want this, this, this against the wall over here. Your neighbor doesn't come down the street and, and go into your house and say, well, I don't like where your bed is. I want to turn it around, do they? No. You say, this is my house. So what has happened in many ministries is they have adopted the same policy. Somebody says, I'm the pastor here. I'm the leader here. Or we're the elders here. And we decide the church will run this way. Or the church will run that way. And we have our communion like this. And these are the elements. Even what this young man did this morning, there are people who would have taken offense with it. And said, oh, you're supposed to start with the pastor first. Then you go to everybody else. I've seen it. I've experienced it. If you were, <laughs> thank you, Holy Spirit. If you were in a, in a boat, and the boat started to sink, and they say, get in the life raft. <laughs> Would it matter if you got in first or you got in last? Or the fact that you just got in? That's all that matters. Did you get in? Did you take the communion after you had, as he had said, examined yourself? Make sure that there is no unforgiveness between you and anybody else. Then forgive every person outside of this room. That, there may, that they may have something against you. You're a nice guy, you're a nice lady, but somebody may have something against you. Well, forgive them. Let them go. Release them. Doesn't matter what they said or done. Let them deal with God. Are you understanding? So your heart is pure when you come to take the communion in a worship sense. We're fellowshipping. The Holy Spirit is teaching. Let him teach. So when we now say your house is, is yours to organize, Many churches taking that option have cut it up and split it up and made it in their own image. We would say there is freedom. There is license in the cross. There is a, a, a degree you can change things the way you want them to be. And there's also structure and order. Are you, are you understanding so all of this is what we're trying to look at today when we talk about rights of fellowship. Galatians chapter 2, verse 9. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, and we're going to find out who the author is here, they gave to me and Barnabas, that's your hint, the right hands of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen, and they into the circumcision. Now, the Bible scholars among us. Who is the author of Galatians? Who is the author? Paul. Paul. There you go. Paul is the speaker here. Who is Barnabas? Barnabas and Paul were the first evangelists called to go out. Apostles called to go out together in service. When the church met, they prayed, they fasted, they sought God, and then the Holy Spirit spoke. And said, separate Paul and Barnabas for the work that I've called them to. We're going to send them out. They had gone out. Then a dispute came up about what indeed were the necessities of being saved. And this dispute got so large, they had to go and have a, a big, what you call a conclave, or a big meeting to work out what exactly do we need to do here. And Paul and Barnabas gave testimony of everything that God had done with them. And what did the other believers say? They said, these guys are really called by God. They saw the grace. Church, that's what we, we want people to see the grace on our lives. We want people to see that God actually did something with us. We don't want to say we're a Christian in name only. What evidence do you carry that you are actually connected with Jesus? And is it visible to others? Can people see the grace of God on your life? Even if they don't know what to call it. They may say, oh, you're a nice guy, you're a nice girl, you're really kind. They don't know what it is. But if it's the grace of God, it will bear fruit 
Amen. Amen. It will bear evidence that, wow, God is with this person. So when they saw the evidence of God's grace on them, they extended to them fellowship. You have something in you that is very powerful. His name is the Holy Spirit. And from him comes the ability to extend to another believer fellowship. This is powerful, church. If, if people would grab this, you would stop seeing churches split. It would end overnight. If there was a perception of what we're talking about right now, what is the spirit of fellowship? Help me. What is the spirit of fellowship? What does it mean to go beyond the surface? When you meet a stranger, are you kind? Are you polite? Most most persons in there would say, yes, I'm kind, I'm polite. I will ask you why. That's the first impression. It's a total stranger. You don't want them to think you're a, a nut guy or, a, or a, a bad person, do you? You want them to have the best impression of you. This young man went on an interview. He didn't go in there saying, well, I don't care what you think. No, he went in there trying to find a way to expose himself as being someone worthy of employment. Is that not true? Is it, is it not true of all of us? Mm -hmm. Amen? Amen. 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 Well, I, well, I, I like that echo. So if we are saying that when the Holy Spirit inside of you reaches out to another person, especially in fellowship, what is he doing actually except trying to draw that person closer to God? Paul and Barnabas were called by the Holy Spirit, yet the other brothers were important to them. So important that Paul, the Arthur, made the distinction. They gave us the right hand of fellowship. Do you know how precious that is? That says, you belong with us. Who in here does not want to belong? Who wants to be an outcast? Who wants to, to be the, the hermit sitting in a cave somewhere? God did not create his body to be divided like that. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your work in us. Then assignments were given. You, Barnabas, Paul, your assignment are the heathen nations. The sec those who have no idea of Christ from their own background and history. The others, what we will do is minister to the circumcised. Who are the circumcised? The Jewish. Those who had the knowledge of the covenants of Abraham. I understand. They already had a religious culture. We, Peter, you and this group, you go minister over there. You guys, Paul, Barnabas, go minister to the heathens. No division. Mm -hmm. Separate assignments, no division. Mm -hmm. Everyone does not have to do what you are doing to be in the fellowship. Amen. But everyone has to have an assignment within the fellowship. So even while you're operating out of sight, I mean, I know I have worked in large uh, facilities where if you work for a company that's large enough to have divisions or departments, you understand what I mean. You're in the same organization, but you're in a different department, a different division. A different area yet you're under the same banner I don't need to see what you're doing if you're operating in the body of Christ I have an assurance that what you are doing is what God called even though I may not see what you're doing now if ministries are operating like that there is what there's harmony there's cohesiveness because we're all doing independent things you're tapping your foot but your brain is thinking and your eyes are blinking <laughs> so, so you've got some functions that are working independently yet they're working together are you understanding oh glory to God inside of the rights of fellowship you have the right to expect the truth ladies and gentlemen can you say that with me the right, the right to, expect the truth. to expect the truth I spelled it wrong but I know exactly what I'm trying to you have the right to expect the truth. 2 Corinthians 4, 1 from the King James. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, this ministry, 
as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden, look at verse 2, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Do you know what that means and how powerful that is? I have the right to expect that you, my brother, you, my sister, are walking in the truth. I have a right to expect that. I, you have a right to expect your pastor is walking in the truth. As a member of the body of Christ, I have a right to expect that. This is, a, this is a high honor. Yes. So that wherever I go in the body of Christ, I should walk in the door with an expectation of, you're not going to lie to me. Amen. You're not going to make something up to tell me. Hey. You're not going to change the word of God. You're not going to be funny with me today, and I see you with your friends tomorrow, and you act a different way. You're going to be consistent with your fellowship. One of the rights of fellowship is you have a right to expect the truth. It says clearly that every hidden dishonest thing has been put away. So I don't expect there to be anything in your life that is dishonest. That's a part of my right to relationship. Wow. I don't have to know everything you did last night or last week or the week before. I have a right that... It, I, that Thank you, Holy Spirit. I have a right that if I were to get access as an administrator to your laptop, your computer, your iPad, your phone, I'm not going to find pornography on it. Drug abuse on it. I'm not going to find pedophilia on it. As a member of the body of Christ, I have a right to expect truth from you. If I'm going to share with you the word of God, you're going to share with me the word of God. That is an expectation of fellowship. That is a right of fellowship. Are you understanding? It's bringing up the integrity level of any church, any ministry, that we are all operating in honesty. How many people have given their money only to watch it drive down the street or go into someone's bank account? I watched a sad unfolding of a, a church where the pastor had gone and taken the funds and was funding his lifestyle. You say, well, that's not just one. Of course, there are many cases of that. But in this one case, it was troubling because the community that he was, quote, serving, they were middle and lower income persons. So you take the monies, the hard-earned monies of the poorest of the poor, and you abuse them. This is one example of many. Though they had a right to expect truth from this person, they were not getting truth. We are in knowledge of a dear sister that I have personal knowledge of and others have personal knowledge of that an individual told this, in, this person to, to give money towards the purchase of a car, a luxury automobile. And they went into their savings. They pulled out thousands we know. And gave that money to this individual who then used it to fund their lifestyle. You should not expect that in a Christian church. You should not expect that kind of abuse in a fellowship. Are you understanding? Amen. I have a right to expect truth from you and you from me. That all deceitfulness is gone. There's nothing dodgy about what I'm saying or what I'm doing. But what's being manifested is the truth. You're not walking in craftiness. Colossians 3, 8 through 10. But now ye also put off all these. There's a list. If any of these things are on you from today, take them off. Amen. From today, if any of these things are on you, take them off. Anger. Okay. Wrath. <coughs> malice. Blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Put these off. Mm -hmm. Lying, do not lie one to another. Amen. Seeing that you have put off the what? Old man with his deeds. And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. You have a right to expect 
Your fellow believers are not walking in anger, not walking in wrath, not walking in malice, not holding something against you. Oh, you offended me, and now I got it out for you. You offended me, now I'm angry with you. What, what is that about? That shouldn't be in the Christian fellowship. You have a right not to expect that. Even if we disagree, we can agree to disagree. You think it should be red? I think it should be purple. Fine. Now what? Leave it. If there's something preventing you from walking with your brother in Christ, and it is not an essential, are you understanding? If it's not an essential, thereby the cross of Christ, Jesus Christ is not displaced or moved by the color of your living room furniture. Are you understanding? So anyone coming and saying, well, unless your living room furniture is cream or beige, the Lord's not pleased with you. <laughs> After you laugh, <laughs> then you can say that's rubbish. That has nothing to do. Jesus does not care what color car you drive. Mm -hmm. He doesn't care what color hat you wear. That's your preference. Mm -hmm. What color shoes? He doesn't, he's not interested. Those are non-essentials. Those things, should, your jewelry should not be breaking your fellowship. Are you understanding? So in this, we're talking about things that significantly, you cannot walk with an angry person. You cannot work with an angry person because that spirit of anger will always interrupt fellowship. Are you understanding? Wrath, always out to get back at somebody, always got a grudge, always holding a grudge. Wrath wants to take an action of violence. It's not just angry. It wants to hurt you or hurt someone. You cannot walk with someone who is like that. Shouldn't be in a Christian fellowship. Are we seeing this? Same with malice, blasphemy. You cannot be using filthy communication, telling dirty jokes or laughing at dirty jokes or watching dirty jokes or comedians or whatever and then have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. It, it's not ever going to work. I heard a man of God say one time, a very simple analogy, and I'll give it to you. If you are doing anything, anything at all, can you see yourself doing that thing in the presence of Jesus? And if, and if you think you would be embarrassed of him standing behind your shoulder while you had the remote watching that program, then you might want to walk away from it. Amen. If there's something you're saying that if, if Jesus heard you say it, what would he say to you? Filthy communication out of the mouth. I've seen people using all kinds of things because we have young people here I'm not going to go into, but there were things that shouldn't be said by a holy, quote, holy person. We act in unison with the new man, not contrary to him. We're not battling against our new nature. Are you understanding? You are a new creature created in Christ. You should be cooperating with that new nature, not fighting against it. Right? If I want to walk in the newness of life and I say, this is the hand of fellowship, my brother, can we walk together? Can you and I join together and walk down this road? We should not be battling each other. Why can't we get along if we say we want the same thing? Oh, I love God, but I can't go to church with you. Oh, I love God, but I can't fellowship with you. What is that about? What is stopping us from walking together? Is there sin or is it just personal preferences gone mad? Oh, yeah, well, that's a good one. The end goal is that every, expect every Christian to do, to do what Jesus would do in that situation. I don't know you personally beyond the point at which I know you. However, if put into a situation, I can be sure you would take the Christian option in that situation. How about that? How about that for confidence? To say, there's a pile of drugs on the floor in a big bag. I have no doubt in my mind that no one in the fellowship 
would go and take those drugs to sell or to use. Now you understand what I'm saying? In every situation, someone is trying to be rude and arrogant towards you. As a believer, I know what you would do. You would try to reach them with reason because you are what? A Christian. That's what it's talking about. To have that kind of confidence in a fellowship, everybody in here. Father, I thank you for those that is reaching beyond these doors because there are people living in bondage, religious bondage right now to this day when they're controlled by guilt and they're constantly being suspicious of one another, constantly doubting, are you really saved? Are you really walking right? Are you really doing? And then they're constantly digging on each other to the point where there is no fellowship. There's only suspicion and it's fear and it's religious. And everyone is trying to do the religious thing and not be called out. Are you understanding? That's what we're up against to have. If you say, where do you want? It was said this morning. You're sitting in a fellowship. Where do you want it to go? Or are you just coming here visiting? You're in a fellowship. What is it that you want to happen here? Are you praying that? Are you living that? Are you expecting God to transform it into what he envisions? Or do you have your own vision? I want it to be this way. I want it to be red carpets and a white lights and a pink wall. No, what is it that God wants out of eat? And so if every fellowship begins this process, Daddy God, here we are. <coughs> what do you want us to be? What do you want us to do? What should we be doing? Not just a pastor, not just a leader, every one of us. It's a fellowship of believers. Are you understanding? You are just as important as the guy or the lady standing in the front at the stage holding a microphone. Okay? There's no little bitty, as my dad would say, little eyes and big U's. None of that. We are the body of Christ. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Romans 15, 29. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake. For whose sake? The Lord Jesus Christ's sake. And for the love of the Spirit, what Spirit? The Holy Spirit. That ye strive together with me. Are you reading this, everybody? That ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. That I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea. And that my service which I have for it, for Jerusalem, may be accepted of the saints. Who is the author again of Romans Paul, what is this? A request for intercession and a uniting of purpose and prayer. Are you understanding? He's asking that you strive. We're using Paul as an example because he's the author of over half the New Testament, okay? He's writing to the churches saying, look, whenever God is doing something, we should be striving together in our prayers for that thing to come to pass. I'm praying for your success, that what God has called you to do, you do it, and you do it, and you do it, and you do it. You understand? And you do it. I'm, I'm linking my prayers with yours that you accomplish the will of God in your life. Amen. And that the journey, you all got in vehicles and came here this morning. Was there anybody in the vehicle that you wished would get out before you got here? I'm just asking. I'm just asking. I'm just asking the question. I know people can sometimes get on your nerve. Is there anybody that you that you wish? I'll tell you what. We'll pull over here. We won't stop, but we will pull over. And if you get a good run going, like the cartoons, when you hit the ground, you can you can shoot off. You want everybody who's traveling in your vehicle to arrive with you, don't do you not? What about God? What about heaven? Amen. What are, are we not going together? Amen. So who in the fellowship do you want to get out? No one. We want more to get in. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Leave the doors open. We want more to get in, not to get out. Amen. Thank you, Holy Spirit. He's teaching. 2 Corinthians 9.13 from the Amplified. Look at the, the way it is Amplified. Because of this act of ministry, they will glorify God 
for your obedience to the gospel of Christ, which you confess, as well, 2 Corinthians 9, 13, as well as for your generous participation in this gift for them and for all the other believers in need. Verse 14, and they also long for you. Listen, oh, this is beautiful. And they also long for you while they pray on your behalf because of the surpassing measure. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm, so, I'm so excited. I'm just going on. <laughs> For the excitement. This is the, the right to expect corporate prayer. That's what I moved into already. I've already gone into the next thing. Uh, I was reading 2 Corinthians 9.13 from the Amplified. Because of this act of ministry... They will glorify God for your obedience to the gospel of Christ, which you confess, as well as for your generous participation in this gift for them and for all the other believers in need. And they also long for you while they pray on your behalf because of the surpassing measure of God's grace, his undeserved favor, mercy, and blessing, which is revealed in you. Now thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, which is precious beyond words. What are we talking about here? There was a collection taken up for saints who were in need. And the Corinthians had given out of their own want to supply the needs for others. And this action of mercy had triggered prayers of intercession in the people. And there was a yearning and a longing. When you begin to share that which God has given you with others, that will prompt, now listen carefully. Oh, thank you, Jesus. If the persons you are sharing with have a grateful heart, they will pray for you. Amen. Oh, yes, they will. Anybody who receives from you without praying for you, they're exposing themselves as not having a right heart before God. You may never know it, but God knows it. This gift of charity that they gave prompted a, a, a swell, a surge of prayer on the behalf of those who were receiving. Why? Because they saw the generosity of Christ. Amen? This is the right you have. The first, the first one up there, uh, Acts 12, 4 through 6, you know this story very well. I'll read it anyway, but you know it very well. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, it's verse 12, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. You know the story. What happened? Peter was in prison. The church was praying. God sent an angel. The chains were taken off of Peter, fell off of him. His guards stayed asleep. He was led out of the prison. The gates opened by themselves. He thought he was dreaming. He realized that, no, God's delivering me. God's delivering me. Church, do you not know that there are people in different types of chains waiting for your intercession, waiting for you to pray in a corporate fashion. You have a right to expect corporate prayer. And the surge of all those petitions going up before God. And there was a release. And this man walked out of prison. The other disciple was killed. John, he was released. Peter was released when the other disciple was killed. Are you understanding the scripture here? The church began to pray. I don't know what it is. Well, I guess I do know what it is, actually. I'm not going to say I don't know. I do know. There is something about death in this earthen frame, its finality, that triggers in us humans an understanding of how serious it is. Many persons do not get serious until they see the hand of death and say, you know what, this is not a joke. How many times have I seen grieving families grieving over a loved one who had just died? And they realize none of us are staying here forever. 
we're all going out of this place in one context or another. And that seriousness, then people began to pray. So when they saw one of their brothers being murdered by the government, and there's another brother in prison, they begin to pray. They got serious all of a sudden. Can we not get that serious before death comes? Can we not begin to pray that way and to loose every bond, every chain, every shackle, every emotional weight, come out of our insular nature, our selfishness, open up and say, Daddy God, send this deliverance down. I don't know who, who was out there needing this chain to be broken. Prison house, somebody called, called us this morning. They called us from prison. Not the incarceration of, of Wadsworth, the incarceration of soul, a prisoner of their soul, prisoner of their mind, needing deliverance. Church, pray. Everywhere I've ever gone, there's been a, list, a prayer list. We will have one from today. Put the prayer needs on the list. All the saints. You don't have to put your name. No details, because I've seen also that be abused and it become gossip central. Ooh, I didn't know Sister Cabbage was, ooh, I don't know the case. Oh, my brother Hot Water and Sister Cold Water, they having a fight. That's gossip. I'm not talking about gossip. I'm talking about prayer, intercession. Every one of these young men in here, if Jesus should tarry, there's a wife with your name on it. At least they should have said amen. <laughs> At least they should have said amen. Every one of you young men, they should be saying amen. Every one of you young, oh, oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. Every one of you unmarried young men, because there's some other young men here. <laughs> we have a wife with our names on them and, and vice versa. But for every one of you unmarried young persons and young ladies, there's a young man of God with your name on it. And that's figurative, okay? Not literal. Don't, so, don't walk down the street. If you see your name on it, guys, oh, that's my husband. No, I'm saying, <laughs> I'm saying, figuratively speaking, there is somebody assigned to you and you assigned to them. And no, you don't have to go two, three, four, five. Bingo, I found them. No. Some of us have already walked through those waters, so we can tell you for sure you don't have to go that way. Ah, amen. The Holy Spirit will guide you to where you're supposed to be. So if you understand this, you understand that, the corporate prayer. So should not the body of Christ, the fellowship, be praying for every young person to be married to the person of God for them? Should that not be on the prayer list? Yeah. Why are you only praying for your kids? You should pray for all the kids. Amen. <laughs> not just yours, all the young people. Drugs, abuse, rape, pedophilia is rampant in our nation. Should we not all as a body, as a fellowship, be praying against all those things that no one be snatched from our midst? Oh, Lord, I thank you for your spirit of grace. Mm. That we strive together, as we already read in Romans 15, 29, that we take up this yoke. Now, proceeding. If you understand that, you should understand this. You have a right to live within your conviction. I'm not talking about unholy. I'm talking about holy, okay? So put it in the context. You have a right to live within your conviction. Look at this. This is amazing. The fellowship is not there to judge one's faith. I'm not judging your faith, whether it's high or low. You're not to judge my faith, whether it's high or low. You are to encourage it. Amen. Encourage every person. Encourage your brother, your sister, your neighbor. Encourage them in their faith. doesn't matter what level it is. It's not for you to inspect and say, oh, hmm, I see you have 5% faith. Let's see what we can do by next week on that. Nothing. It's not your job. It's not your job to inspect my faith. It's not my job to inspect your faith. Are you understanding? That's between you and God. But I am to encourage you. I am to encourage you, to exhort you. Amen? Amen. So the expression of faith is before God. 
and justified by his acceptance alone. That's the key, ladies and gentlemen. How do I know my faith is accurate? Does God receive what you do? Simple question. What you're doing on a daily basis, is God receiving it? Do you even know if God is receiving it? Have you ever asked, Daddy God, what I'm giving you, is it the right expression you want from me? This will remove strife out of all ministry. It will take strife away immediately. Romans 14, 1. As for the one, on the left side what you have is amplified. On the right side you have the King James. I wanted to show you the comparison because one lifts the text into a further light. So I'll start with Romans 14, 1 on the right side, which is the King James. Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye. Do what? Receive ye, but not to doubtful disputation. For one believeth that he may eat all things. Another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God receiveth him. From the Amplified, the same text reads this way. As for the one whose faith is weak, accept him into your fellowship, but not for the purpose of quarreling over his opinions. One man's faith permits him to eat everything, while the weak believer eats only vegetables to avoid eating ritually unclean meat or something previously considered unclean. The one who eats everything is not to look down on the one who does not eat. And the one who does eat, uh, does not eat, must not criticize or pass judgment on the one who eats everything. For God has accepted him. Do you see the difference there? So if your conviction is, hey, I'm not drinking any wine. I, I, I'm just not having it. God bless you. Carry on. If another person's conviction is, I am drinking. God is with me. I see no condemnation in the scripture. God bless you. Carry on. I am not in a position of judging your personal conviction. As long as it's not sin, ladies and gentlemen. If you're not committing sin, what your preference is, that's your preference. What your conviction is, that's your conviction. Some people can only eat vegetables. I know Christians today. Oh, I'm a vegan. I only eat only vegetables. Only vegetables. Vegetarian, only vegetables. Okay. Have a nice day. And could you pass me the hamburger salsa? <laughs> I can go to lunch with you. I don't mind your three-foot-long salad. It doesn't bother me at all. Do you want some extra croutons? I'll get some for you. Well, I get my steak. Well, I get my steak. It doesn't bother me at all. That should not break our fellowship. But if you're sitting there saying, oh, I feel sick in my stomach. I say, why? It's the smell of the meat. I say, well, I guess I'll have a baked potato then. <laughs> I'll, I'll gladly take my steak and put it on the side. I can eat that later at home. But if I'm going to have fellowship with you and your conviction is so strong, what does the Bible say? The Bible says the one who had to be catered to is the weak one. Are you understanding? Because their conscience won't allow them to eat something that they think may defile them. So while you're walking with them in your maturity, you should take the step to accommodate their conscience. Are you understanding? This is about Christian love. This is about fellowship. This is not about me putting my feet down and stomping like a child saying, I want my way. Give me my way. I want my way. I want my way. Because everybody will give you space and they'll just back away and say, is there a bib in the house or a pacifier? And it's going to call them dum-dums. Give them a pacifier or a dum-dum because the baby's gone crazy now. I want my way. He's having a fit. We'll all just take a break and let this pass. You see, the weak one, you have to accommodate. That's why when your child goes on the warpath, I don't care how dignified you are in your three-piece suit. <laughs> when the child goes on the warpath, you have to drop all of that to cater to them. 
calm down, little Jimmy. So don't don't embarrass me. <laughs> perfect timing. That's what you you have to accommodate because the weaker one is not looking at what you're looking at. All it says, I want my way. I want my. I said, okay, you can have your way. You can have your way because you know that issue of whether you eat the meat or eat vegetables. That's not going to separate our fellowship. Amen. This is about your rights in fellowship. You have the right to live by your conviction. So if that's your conviction, take off. Go with it. It's not a problem. We can get there by nightfall. So these scriptures, again, if you write those down or if you come back to that slide, you will see that freedom is there. Lastly of all, you have the right to expect a unified calling. This is the gathering of all believers together. This is a gathering of the worldwide body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 9. God is faithful. I like that word there. God is faithful. Not he was, not he can be, not he should be. God is faithful. Present tense and continuous. By whom always and forever. Amen. By whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his son. The what? The fellowship of his son. Do you not understand that the fellowship is a calling? It is a calling. Being in the fellowship of God is a calling. We're talking about calling on people's lives. Being in the fellowship of Christ is a calling. You and I, we have been called to be in the family of God. It's our option to choose to accept the calling. Of his son, Jesus Christ. Verse 10. Now I beseech you. In other words, I beg you, brethren. By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That ye all speak the same thing. Now these are the essentials. These are not convictions and different and separate ideas and notions. These are the essentials. When he says that ye all speak the same thing. That there be no divisions among you. Who is Jesus Christ? Did his blood pay for our sins? Is he resurrected? Is he coming again? Those are the core. Those are the essentials. How many names are there under heaven whereby we must be saved? One. One. What, what is that name? Jesus. Ha! Jesus. That is a core essential. We have to agree on that. We have to speak the same thing. That we can't go on Oprah Winfrey and say, well, there are many ways to God. There are many ways to find him. There are many roads that lead in different directions, but they all lead. Rubbish. Rubbish. And for those from the States, trash. Garbage. <laughs> Garbage, trash. There is only one way. His name is Jesus. When we say we speak the same thing, these are the essentials that we must speak together. There must be no divisions over these essentials but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind. What is that mind? The mind of Christ. And the same judgment. It's not normal, the note says. It is not normal for the body of Christ to be divided. It is not normal. It is not normal. Amen. Denominations are not normal. It is not in the Bible. Amen. It is not prescribed. It is not normal. Amen. I'll keep saying it. Why? Because heaven doesn't look like that. Amen. There are no distinctions and titles. You heard me say it, and if you stay around, you hear me say it again. It's not in the Bible. Division is not the mind of God. Amen. There's one body. How many bodies do you have? One. one. How many heads are sitting on your shoulder? Unless, now I have seen. <laughs> I digress. I was in a shop in Oxford with someone. We had just made a purchase. I think it was at lunchtime. We're walking towards the door, and I looked up, and a young lady is looking in the door, and her friend is looking over her shoulder at me. I got closer to the door, and I realized that's not her friend looking in the door with her. She had two heads, and she was standing right there, and everything in my body melted <laughs> down because I couldn't. My brain was saying, that's not normal, that's not normal, that's not normal, that's not normal. But there she was. Yes, she was in Oxford. If you go online, you can see her. She's still alive. They did not terminate the birth. They allowed her to live with two heads. And she's not the only one. She's been on television. Oh, she's not, she's not any. She's English. Yeah. 
And you saw American, but you go online, you you can see. So she was right here in in Oxford, and I walked to the door, and there she was looking right at me. I'm looking at her, and I'm saying disbelief, disbelief. Turn your eyes, turn your eyes, disbelief. But it was so. And then when I walked out, I was still thinking maybe I made it up until I turned to my left, and every person down the block were all looking. Everybody was like, everybody was doing the same example of being stunned. And I said, yep, I did see it. Because <laughs> they all reacted the same. Like, how is this possible? And she was walking down the road, the street with her friends. So abnormal can become normal Amen. if it's supported. But that doesn't make it normal because it's supported. Are you understanding? So that, that was not the intent for God to make humans have two heads. This anomaly, this birth, that's why it's called a birth defect. This birth defect caused this person to have two. But it is not normal for the body of Christ to be divided. If half of your body was on this side of the room and the other half of your body was on that side of the room, you would have a major issue. <laughs> you would have a major problem with yourself. We would, actually, we would all have a major problem with you at that point. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So it's not normal. John 17, 15. I pray not for... Hmm, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from what? The evil. John 17, 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. John 17, 20. Neither pray I for these alone but for them also which shall believe on me through their words. John 17, 21, that they all, how many is all? All. all? all. That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. That the world may believe. When will it believe? That the world may believe. That thou hast sent me. So what is the testimony? This is Jesus praying, by the way, in case you didn't know. He's praying that we would be one, not denominations. Do you see denominations there? No. Do you see any, any separations? No, that they be one. How should we be one, Jesus? The same way you are with the Father. The same type, the same integrity, the same meshing, that we be one. He's not praying for the world to be one. He's praying for the fellowship of believers to be one. Are you seeing this? Get your Bibles. John 17. You can read the whole chapter if you want to. But make specific attention that not only those he was speaking to on that day, what does he say? Those who will believe through their words. So that's you and I. That's us. Amen? That's us. Jesus has already prayed for you before you were born. Jesus has prayed for you before you appeared on the earth. He's already asked the Father to make you a part of what was existing on the day he said it. Look at the last verse. This is powerful. Hebrews 11.39 And these all, how many is all? All. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise God having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be what? Made perfect. What is it talking about? When you read Hebrews chapter 11, you read about all the saints who were tortured and who were put to death for their faith. Yet all that they suffered, the Bible says, they cannot be separated from you. They cannot receive the promise without us. Am I the one reading this? What does it say? Receive not the promise. Why not? God having provided some better thing for who? Us. What is the thing he provided? That we would be united in faith together. Well, the promise of eternal life in the presence of God. Even though they had suffered all that they had suffered, they were not able to enter into that inheritance in full until you and I get there. That's like somebody having a massive house party 
and there are thousands there. And they said, we are not starting until you get there. Until you get there, then we'll start. Everybody's gathered, everybody's here, but nobody is going in until you arrive. And if you don't think that's special, if you don't think that that is not a reason why God is, is pointing us in the direction of the total fellowship, of how we're all connected, he said, all, all. Well, there are people who haven't been born yet who are not saved. All, those included. There are people in other countries who haven't been saved. All, every one of us, they all be one. All gathered, all gathered. I hear the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. That they all be gathered together as one. And then, whatever your story Whatever you have suffered in your life, whatever your ancestors have gone through, if they were Christians, they are waiting for you. Finish your race. Join us. And we will all enter into that space. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the rights of fellowship. We thank you for the rights you have given us in yourself, for truth, for joining us together for having a, a conviction and a consciousness of Christ, for waiting for the unity of the body, for gathering us over the centuries, over the eons, over the life spaces, over the entire world, bringing us together in yourself, for tearing down every denominational wall and everything that would separate and segregate us from one another, from yes. racism and cultures yes. and backgrounds and sexism and all of these disparaging things, Daddy God, that you would eliminate in us. Yes. Give us one heart, one language, one mind, one voice according to your dictates, according to your word to speak and mind the same thing. Lord, any person in this fellowship or those who are listening who has suffered racism or discrimination or being discriminated against or being left out in any way, heal their hearts, yes. heal their emotions, yes. heal their mind. Anyone who's been picked on or bullied or ostracized, heal and deliver them yes. and join them together in their yes. faith yes. in the body of Christ. Cause them to know they are accepted in the beloved. Yes. In the name of Jesus, we're praying for those who are the heirs of salvation, those who have not yet come to Christ. We're praying for yes, their deliverance. Lord. We are yearning oh, for them, Daddy God, God, to be added to your oh, body, God, to be God, added God, to your God, fellowship, God, to be added to your comfort of love. Let us pray one for another, Daddy God. Give us the spirit of intercession and desire for one another to pray over each one of these young people, young men, young women, that their future be rich in Christ, that they reach the inheritance, the full stature of the nature of Jesus himself that they not be distracted or taken away from your purpose and your goal and your destiny. We pray for them and for all others in the body of Christ. Every son, every daughter, every niece, every nephew, every grandchild. We are praying for them in the name of Jesus to walk in the fullness of the body of Christ. Daddy God, we worship you and we thank you and we receive it from you in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Jesus. Jesus name. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Find your brother, your sister in the fellowship and tell them you are in the fellowship. Hallelujah.